This tour was a meaningful reminder of why we have to fight bigotry, intolerance, and hatred in all of its very ugly forms. We're going to try very hard to bring people together in a much stronger way. It's just so divided, so sad to see. We want people to come into our country, but we want people that love us. We want people that can cherish us and their traditions of our country. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Tuesday, February 21, 2017. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Welcome uh, and thank you for listening to this program. We have a very special show for you today, an exclusive with immigration agent, a former retired uh, immigration agent, in that uh, Michael Cutler, uh, a friend of the program and a great guest to have on, someone who, you know, he has the experience of of knowing, of being right there arresting gang members, drug dealers, and criminal illegal aliens to talk about the Department of Homeland Security order today. That is the big topic, and it's up on neilacruso.com. We have a list of the key points in the DHS memo from General John Kelly, the Homeland Security Secretary um, under President Trump. And um, so that is up on neilacruso.com and um, everything you need to know about it. People get very alarmed right away when they hear about immigration. But let me just read it to you, read you the key points, and I do so in the interview again. Why am I repeating myself? Because it's important. Because before, like I joke with Michael Cutler later, we, re- we recorded the interview. It's about an hour and a half interview, okay? Do, do it when you're driving. Listen to it in parts, whatever you have to do, but listen to it. Because it's crucial that you understand where immigration is in this country, where the criminals come in, and um, nobody better to tell that than an immigration agent seeing that right on the ground. And we got into uh, that in a very lengthy discussion. I mean, he's testified in front of the 9-11 Commission uh, on Capitol Hill um, and uh, actually testified alongside Senator, then-Senator uh, Jeff Sessions, now the Attorney General. Um, and he told me off the air that um, Sessions is one of the brightest guys that you'll ever know. Um, so we're in a good uh, position in terms of national security, but obviously President Trump has been met with a lot of resistance from the left and a lot of protests, but I'm going to ignore that for the time being. We talk about that a little bit with Michael Cutler, and he said, listen, the, we, it's it's more it's more than resisting because, and he makes a very clear point about globalism versus nationalism slash populism, and, you know, if there's going to be a right and a wrong, it's not left versus right anymore. It's Globalism versus nationalism and populism in the fact that um, these uh, nationalism, which is Trump and the establishment being globalism, um, it's important for 
our country to secure our country and only worry about the United States. We don't need to worry about the globe. We don't need to worry about all other countries. And we just need to focus on ourselves. You know, it's like when you are, when you break up with someone, right? That you're just, fo you're, I'm going to focus on myself. Well, yeah, well, th that's what we have to do right now as a country is just focus on ourselves um, and get our crap in order because right now it's a mess. It truly is a mess. Uh, we, have to, we haven't been enforcing immigration laws, and we talked to um, Mr. Cutler about it, how crucial it is to get back to enforcing our laws. And, and uh, the headline that I put on NeilACaruso.com, and by the way, we have a newsletter coming out tomorrow um, for the first time, Caruso's Comments Newsletter. You can sign up on my website. Um, and the headline is Enforcing Immigration Laws. DHS order to prioritize deportation of criminal illegal aliens and put an end to catch and release. So the key points in the memo includes prioritizing criminal illegal immigrants, the criminal ones. We talked about it last week, the MS-13 gang member that was deported out of New York. You have in Phoenix, Arizona, there were massive protests, but the person who is being deported has stolen someone's identity. If someone stole your identity, it would take you over 10 years to get it back. So that's a heinous crime. Multiple drug offenses, sexual assault, rape, convictions. So they are being deported out of here. Why would you want them to stay in the United States in the first place? Expanding expedited removal provisions to aliens who have not been admitted or paroled into the U.S. This excludes excludes unaccompanied uh, minors, those who intend to apply for asylum or have fear of persecution or torture in their home countries. Those people are excluded. Expanding the 287G program, allowing participating local officers to act as immigration agents and have been rolled back under the Obama administration. One of the reasons for a massive law enforcement divide with the public starting the planning, design, and construction of the border wall between the U.S. and Mexico that will, uh, that will actually be made with mostly to pretty much all American-made materials to construct the wall. So the wall, by the way, is not just you know a physical barrier, which people mock it as. The wall is much more than that. The wall is part of the extreme vetting and it's part of uh in this memo hiring 10,000 immigration and customs enforcement agents and officers and hiring 5,000 border patrol agents it's about surveillance it's about high-tech um monitoring and surveillance and that's all in this memo um identifying and quantifying indirect and direct sources of aid to mexico during each of the last five fiscal years and if you look at, and I actually put in the article about how much money that we spend to Mexico, well, let me tell you about that. Because if you look at it, it's very easy to pay for the wall. The United States gave $175 million in aid to Mexico from 2014 to 2016. That's just an aid. That's not even the trade deficit. The trade deficit's in the billions. With 45% of the aid, 45% of the $175 million going to, quote, 
democracy, human rights, and governance, and 9% of Mexican aid towards peace and security. President Trump promised to have Mexico pay for the border wall by either using aid funds, reducing the trade deficit, or any other diplomatic measures that he needs to do. And the wall is addressed here in this DHS memo released by Secretary General John Kelly. Commissioning a comprehensive study of border security, that including air, land, and maritime, to identify the vulnerabilities and provide recommendations to enhance the border security. The study will include the availability of federal and state resources to develop and implement an effective border security strategy that will achieve complete operational control of the border. Um, ending the catch-and-release policies that actually ended in 2006 under President George W. Bush, but was continued under President Obama, under which illegal immigrants subject to deportation potentially are allowed to abscond and fail to appear at removal hearings. And put, lastly, of the highlights that I um, highlighted in the article, putting into place accountability measures to protect alien children. So we're actually protecting children from exploitation and prevent abuses of immigration laws. Smuggling or trafficking of alien children into the U.S. puts those children at grave risk of violence and sexual exploitation. CBP and ICE will ensure the proper enforcement of our immigration laws against those who facilitate such smuggling and trafficking. Straight from the DHS memo. So I just read it to you. Of course, go on to DHS.gov, Department of Homeland Security, and you can read the law for yourself. You know, if people did that about the immigration order, they would realize that it was not a Muslim ban and um, that a new executive order now has to go into effect to replace it. So President Trump is going to, most likely is expected to by Thursday or Friday, to sign a new executive order that is going to, he's going to rescind the old one that's caught up in the courts now for, you know, uh, political reasons, has nothing to do with anything but politics because if they read the law, 8 U.S. Code, or Section 8 of U.S. Code 1182F, obviously gives a president the authority to do so, as is the Constitution. And so he's expected to release uh, a new or sign a new executive order by the end of the week, and that will um, go have an immigration and refugee suspension again. Um, but there are a couple of, from what's being reported, some minor changes to it. But the suspension is necessary because by next week, he's expected to have a plan on his desk from his national security team that is now in place. Luckily, he has Attorney General Jeff Sessions confirmed now that could vouch for this new executive order. He has his team in place, a new national security advisor, and General H.R. McMaster, an army general, to replace General Michael Flynn, who was fired by President Trump last week. Um, and, of course, he has some more of his cabinet filled up and General John Kelly, and they could vouch for the need for this executive order. Very, very important to suspend immigration until we can enforce our laws, deport, stop the bleeding first, then deport criminal, illegal aliens who have committed crimes that are very dangerous crimes, whether it be drugs to your children or sex slavery, 
Seriously, it still goes on. We talk about it with Michael Cutler in the interview today. It's it's like the movie Taken. It goes on, and it's a very corrupt government that Mexico has, and it's coming here. And Trump was absolutely right from the get-go. Absolutely. And they don't give him credit, but he was 100% right, and all he wants to do is protect the nation. It's about the United States, not anyone else. So by the end of the week, this suspension on immigration should come up. Hopefully it's communicated a little easier and better to the American people, although the filter that the people will get it from is um, important and it could be a problem for President Trump because there seem to be a lot of uphill battles. But as we discussed on the Sunday program, Trump keeps winning anyway. And a month into his presidency, he is winning despite all the globalist policies and all the problems that he has to deal with establishment Democrats and Republicans. And he is working to accomplish his America First agenda to put you first. It's very clear. It's very common sense policies. Now, today, President Trump actually, uh, well, he had tweeted, or Ivanka Trump actually tweeted last night, uh, but around the time we were recording the podcast yesterday, um, about, uh, she said, quote, America is a nation built on the principle of religious tolerance. We must protect our houses of worship and religious centers. Hashtag JCC, which came, JCC is an acronym, by the way, for Jewish Community Center. Um, federal authorities have been investigating a wave of phoned-in bomb threats to at least 10 Jewish community centers, including in Alabama, Ohio, Illinois, Texas, and New York. No one injured, but threats appeared, um, they appear to be hoaxes, but still threats never, nevertheless. And so... President Trump, after seeing his daughter tweeting about it, now you have to remember, Ivanka Trump did convert to Judaism. Her husband, Jared Kushner, who is one of Trump's top advisors, especially um, he's working very hard on Israel relations with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And it's the art of the deal. It's the art of the deal. And so they're working very hard together. And so Ivanka Trump's Jewish, and she tweeted this, and President Trump talked today, and he said, and you heard in the intro, Talking about bigotry, he said, today, anti-Semitism is horrible, and it's going to stop, and it has to stop. I was uh, told NBC News this, and then exclusive today. Um, and then, of course, you heard he was with Dr. Ben Carson today, his uh, HUD director, Health and Human Services, or excuse me, uh, <laughs> uh, Housing and Urban Development, uh, working on the inner cities. Um, Tom Price's Health and Human Services. Dr. Carson there today with, um, alongside Alveda King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece, who has supported President Trump from day one. And the two were behind President Trump as he made his remarks. They heard in the intro that this tour, he toured the um, African American Museum for Black History Month uh, in Washington. This tour was a meaningful reminder of why we have to fight bigotry, intolerance, and hatred in all of its very ugly forms. And just goes to show you, things are very backwards when you listen to the loud left and how, you know, when they claim all of Republicans are bigots and the Islamophobia and the racism and the sexism. I mean, I forget all the phobes I'm supposed to have, all the phobias I'm supposed to have. Like I wake up in the morning, like, what am I supposed to be again? All the things that I, I've, you know, it's like so blown out of proportion. And, and it really diminishes the real threat and the real, I mean, 
when you bring up, you know, when you make a comparison, an asinine comparison of the president to like the Hitler regime, and people do that and they continue to do that, and I will not accept that, when they continue to make those points, they are diminishing what happened in the Holocaust. They're hurting the people who lost family members like Michael Cutler, who you'll hear from in a couple of moments, former immigration agent and an expert in the field, someone who has great knowledge and expertise in immigration. And he talks about things that he has seen over 20 years on the ground serving our nation and all the stuff that he has gone through and seen between the gangs and the drugs that have come into our country and needs the facts to back it up. And he's going to keep coming on this program to talk about it. And we're going to get footage for you to show you what's going on in your backyard. So you'll hear from immigration agent Michael Cullen when we come back uh, after this uh, very quick break. And uh, so I kept the, the monologue short for you guys today because um, it is important that we get to this interview and you listen to it. Um, we talk about the Department of Homeland Security memo. We talk about the deportation of criminal illegal aliens. We talk about the importance of classifying them as criminal illegal aliens and not um, getting caught up in um, in mislabeling. Uh, and we get into the statistics, sanctuary cities, deportations. What does the country need to move forward and how can we keep our nation safe? That with an immigration agent coming up on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast airing Mondays through Fridays on NeilACrusoe.com. Don't go anywhere. Informant, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. It's the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. All right, back here on the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Pleasure to be joined with, as always, former immigration agent Michael Cutler, also a contributor to Front Page Magazine and Caps. Uh, Mr. Cutler, thank you for coming on this evening. Uh, late notice today, but I appreciate you making the effort to come on. 
Well, my pleasure. There's so much going on. Caps, by the way, is capsweb.org, frontpagemag.com, and also the social contract. You know, since 9-11, right. I've been determined to get the information out there, and I, I thank you for helping me with that effort. Well, <clears throat> it's my pleasure because, um, you know, immigration has been at the forefront of a national discussion really since President Trump or then-candidate Trump brought this and talked about the wall, and he was criticized. He's been called a bigot for you know, what I'd consider common sense policies. And let's talk today, um, news out this morning that the Department of Homeland Security uh, has issued two memos. And I just want to go over um, bullet points. This is up on neilacaruso.com, the entire uh, order and details of of this. So before anyone goes out and riots, they could actually read the law for themselves. Um, and what, that's, a, what a novel thought. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's straight from the uh, Department of Homeland Security memo that I know we both read in length today. So just to go over the bullets, and then I'm going to ask your uh, opinion on it. First, sure. prioritizing criminal illegal immigrants, criminal illegal immigrants, and others for deportation, including those convicted or charged with any criminal offense or have abused any public welfare program. That's number one. Number two, expanding uh, expedited removal uh, provisions to aliens who have not been admitted or paroled into the U.S. That excludes unaccompanied minors, uh, those who intend to apply for asylum or have a fear of persecution or torture in their home countries. Those people are excluded. Um, Expanding the 287G program, which allows participating local officers to act as immigration agents and have been rolled back under the Obama administration. Uh, so getting local law enforcement involved to assist uh, in uh, securing the country. Starting uh, the planning, design, and construction of the U.S.-Mexico border wall with mostly American materials being made to construct the wall. That was an important uh, point for President Trump to get across, was to use American-made materials. Um, identifying and quantifying indirect and direct sources of aid to Mexico during each of the last five fiscal years. And I could give you those uh, stats, by the way, uh, on the uh, the aid, which is outstanding. Um, hiring 10,000 immigration and customs enforcement <coughs> agents and officers. Hiring 5,000 border patrol agents. This is on top of what we have. Um, also commissioning a comprehensive study of border security, air, land, and maritime to identify vulnerabilities and provide recommendations to enhance border security. The study will include the availability of federal and state resources to develop and implement an effective border security strategy that will achieve complete operational control of the border. Um, Also, we have uh, ending the catch-and-release policies. That actually ended in 2006 under President George W. Bush, but was continued anyway under Obama. But I have to interrupt on that point. Sure. Internally, though, there's always been catch and release. and Everyone has always been talking about catch and release on the border. Please understand that there there has been catch and release within the interior. So if you raided a factory or you uh, made other arrests of illegal aliens Mm -hmm. and there was no jail space, they got released. But this is the border got a lot of attention. What has been ignored up until this administration, the Trump administration, is interior enforcement. And I'll talk more about it 
sure. uh, after you get done delineating all <laughs> that's in this package. Well, because it's but important to— reinforces the issue. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and I want to get your insight and details, and I'll shut up eventually. I just want to make sure that people no, understand Keep going. <laughs> what, is, what is in— <laughs> Uh, the order before you know anyone starts Don't going out and rioting. Your mouth. <laughs> no, 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 no problem. No, it's my show. You can't talk. I'm kidding. That's teasing. right. It's your show. <laughs> you have it your way. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm not not that arrogant. Um, putting uh, into place accountability measures is the last point here uh, to protect alien children from exploitation and prevent abuses of immigration laws. We had talked about this off air. Um, earlier uh, today, the smuggling or trafficking of alien children into the U.S. puts those children at grave risk of violence and sexual exploitation. The uh, Border Patrol and ICE uh, enforcement agencies will ensure the proper enforcement of our immigration laws against those who facilitate <clears throat> such smuggling and trafficking. So that is exactly what the two memos read today. Um, there are some other things, but that's basically the crux of it. So prioritizing criminal illegal aliens, let me ask you, what are your thoughts when you read this this morning? Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been advocating for more common sense immigration policies forever. I mean, you were you forever. saw things. I mean, you you served as an immigration agent and you arrested people. And you know what's going on currently. You know where the bodies are buried. So why does this make sense? And, and look, I, so, so here we go. I, I started as an inspector. And I want to make this point because, you know, I just did a debate with a woman who was an attorney uh, on a radio show. She called herself a litigator. And I, and I started to immediately think of my cousin Vinny, if you saw that movie. <laughs> um, and, and she went to the cupboard and found it was bare. She had no argument to be made really based on law fact common sense or morality on what the president has been doing so the woman who said let's not turn this into a, a personal attack turned it into a personal attack against the president of the united states right and he's justified in what he did first of all uh, article four section four the united states constitution talks about how the federal government will protect the states against invasion and against domestic violence the paraphrase mm -hmm. and i just wrote an article for frontpagemag.com about the about president trump and the constitution and then if you go to section 1182 right. title 8 this is part of the immigration and nationality act it enumerates all the categories of aliens to be excluded from the united states it starts with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases aliens who are criminals spies terrorists human rights violators fugitives from justice, prior deportees, aliens who are likely to become a public charge, or aliens who, if they worked, would displace Americans, either cost Americans their jobs or wages and working conditions. And so the first thing she said to me was, well, you enforce the immigration laws because you wanted to keep these people out of the country. I said, if by these people you mean the classes of excludable aliens, yes. Yeah. If you mean all immigrants, the answer is no. Of course. In fact, if I wanted to keep people out of the country, why in the world would I become an immigration inspector where uh -huh. most of the people who came into my booth I wound up admitting into the United States, including foreign students, immigrants, refugees, visitors who, for pleasure, tourists, whatever. So the immigration laws provide balance. It's not we're here to keep you out. This is not a dictatorship. This isn't Stalinist Russia. 
It's about making certain that the people who come into America don't mean us any harm, which is exactly what President Trump has been articulating from day one. Right. So now, maybe, I agree with you. Um, I just want to ask you, though, why? Because I know you're pro-immigration and so am I. I just don't yep. like illegal immigration. Why is it that – and uh, you know, I've seen this uh, not really – I mean some people get it. Some people don't because there's no clear distinction between legal immigration and illegal immigration. And if you say illegal immigration, number one, you get corrected right away because they say undocumented. I'll never write right. or say undocumented <clears throat> immigration in my life because I don't care what the Associated Press says uh, in their style book. It's undocumented immigration is a whole different thing than illegal immigration. And the fact that they're right. here illegally is a crime in it, in it of itself. But we're pro-immigration. Just we want people to come in legally. But how come, you know, we Not are only legally, but, but as, as also saying that? Well, so let me clarify. Yeah, sure. Legally, but the system has to because what they've done to satisfy the globalists, to satisfy the Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, La Raza, Mecho, LULAC, the ACLU, I can go down this whole list of all the usual suspects. Right. We are now allowing in <clears throat> more authorized workers, foreign workers, and the number of new jobs we're creating. That dynamic has got to change also. So what I believe, and it's funny because Senator Sessions, who is now Attorney General Sessions, <clears throat> pardon me, had chaired a subcommittee in the United States Senate, subcommittee of the judiciary, called Immigration Enforcement and the National Interest. You see, and what he was saying is what I'm saying to you. Immigration should be serving the people of the United States. Right. Not the corporations, not the banks, not Wall Street, but American citizens. And so now, I see people out there rioting and carrying on and screaming, not my president. <laughs> you know, I, I almost have the sense <clears throat> that either part of these people, and undoubtedly part of them are rent-a-mob, and part of them are brain damaged. Part of them are kind of like people that suffer Stockholm Syndrome, and, and we'll talk about Stockholm shortly, but this is a different <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome, where the captors have so imprinted themselves on their psyche that they don't understand that they've been abused. This is like the, the abused family and then when the cops show up, the wife doesn't want her husband to wind up in handcuffs, even though he just beat her in, into submission. Right. And, so, you know, yeah, you mentioned some of the protesters. I mean, first of all, uh, and some of them lost their jobs last week in protesting because they never showed up for work, and they should lose their like jobs. A um, sounds like a plan. Yeah, I mean, these are, a lot of them are paid protesters. I mean, you have to realize George Soros funds a lot of these. Obama-affiliated organizing for action um pays a lot of money uh, for protesting and you know they are trying desperately to ruin Donald Trump they do not want him to be successful well, they want to vilify him they want to deprive him of legitimacy so, so yeah. he, let, let's let's so let's back up and understand something okay. the immigration laws were enacted to achieve just a couple of primary objectives first of all national security second of all protect innocent lives third of all protect the jobs of Americans Essentially, that's what's on the enforcement side. Mm -hmm. How in the world could any American take issue with keeping terrorists, criminals, gang members, narcotics out of the United States? How could I any American I, I really be opposed to a president saying, let's make certain that when Americans can do the job, that Americans get the jobs, not foreign nationals? 
Now, this isn't only an economic issue, although it's right. very much an economic issue. Oh, it sure it's is. A national security issue. But, because yeah, I really what, don't understand it. To me, what he says and what he has been saying since June of 2015, and really before that, if you, you, know, if you study what Trump has said uh, throughout his life, um, it's common sense. I mean, it's, it's a regular guy talking common sense policies. I mean, things that – listen, I'll tell you a story. When I was a little kid – Maybe seven years old, you know, sitting in my father's car, um, somehow the uh, border wall came up, and then we don't have one. And, you know, it could have been um, around the time that they were debating it, maybe around post 9-11. And um, I said, well, wouldn't that make sense? I mean, wouldn't we have a, a wall around our, our border? And that's me as a little kid saying that. I mean, that's got to be common sense. Why? What is with people these days that they don't? They really don't understand common sense policy, and they make stuff up. Well, well, look, how many people wound up with lung cancer, emphysema, and heart disease because Winston tastes good like a cigarette should? Mm. If you get people to listen to a slogan long enough, and this was what Goebbels did over in, in uh, Nazi Germany and Hitler, tell a lie. Make it a whopper of a lie and repeat it every 15 minutes, and pretty soon people start to think it makes sense. They think it's the truth. So look what Jimmy Carter did. And, you know, I've written about this. Carter started this nonsense where he said, don't use the word alien. The term alien is to be stripped from from the vernacular. They're all immigrants. And when they run the border, they're undocumented immigrants. Well, so what do we call an alien who came in with a visa and violates the terms of his entry? Does he lack documents? No, he has documents. What about the alien who gets a green card and then goes out and rapes and kills? He now loses his green card. He's now here illegally. Is he undocumented? No, his file is as thick maybe as a phone book. Why are we calling him undocumented? Let me ask you another question. Is the word undocumented a verb? or an adverb. How did he enter the United States? He entered undocumented. No, he entered without inspection. That was the jargon that I used as an agent. Mm -hmm. You know, if I went out and made an arrest, and this is an important issue, then we're going to come into the sideways. If I made an arrest, I was in a squad. We used to call it area control. Your job was to go out and find illegal aliens wherever you could find them. I used to work with the cops a lot. They'd stop some drunk driver. He's got five guys in the back of the car. They'd say, hey, Mike, we just stopped the car. We got a guy driving the car, no license, drunk as a skunk. We're, we're going to prosecute the guy. <clears throat> but he had five of his buddies in the back of the car. Do you want them? I'd go down, I'd pick them up, and we would, we would you know, arrest them. My boss comes over to my desk. I'm sitting there up to my eyeballs and paper. He says, Mike, what you got? And maybe I'd say to him, I have uh, five Iwi El Salvadorans. E-W-I, Iwi. Right. My boss immediately knew these were guys around the border. Entrance without inspection. It's not that they entered undocumented. They trespassed. They snuck in. They evaded the inspections process. For all the talk about how the Syrian refugees can't be vetted, and then you look at the politicians who just lie. I mean, forget what the head of the CIA said, John Brennan, and that was Obama's CIA chief. Forget about what James Comey the FBI director under Obama, Mike Steinbeck, the assistant director for counterterrorism at the FBI under James Comey. They all testified before multiple congressional hearings in the House and Senate, including hearings at the House Immigration Subcommittee, where I've testified, I think, eight or nine times, plus the Senate Judiciary Committee, where I've done a couple of hearings as well. Mm -hmm. What did they say? 
we can't vet these people. Yeah, they we like have no to say that. On the ground. Why the hell not? So wait. So let me just make my point. So yeah. they got no boots on the ground. You can't trust the Assad regime. They know he knows we want him out of power. Do you think he's going to help us? I'm trying to get you fired from your job, and I come up to you and I say, Neil, can you help me? You're going to look at me and say, you out of your mind? Well, my car broke down. Yeah, and what do you want me to do about it? Well, it's raining, and my wife's in the car, and we're going to the movies. You just got me fired. You're trying to take my livelihood. Am I? Are you going to help me? No. So are we going to go to Assad now that he knows we're trying to depose him and say, oh, Mr. Assad, we could use your help figuring out who the terrorists are. Do you think he's going to help us? No, Realistically. I don't think so. Okay. So we know he's not going to help. No. We know that uh, ISIS has overrun government office buildings in Syria. Now, why is that significant? Because those office buildings contain thousands of blank passports, thousands of blank driver's licenses and other official identity documents and the printing machinery that they use to make the passports, the licenses and the other ID. Right. They've been selling ID for a couple thousand dollars to anybody with the right price. Yep. And they come in uh, here. Right. So the point of the matter is when you hear all this and when you have John Brennan, the head of the CIA, go before Congress under oath and say, and by the way, ISIS is embedding terrorists in the refugee flows. Mm -hmm. What more do you need to hear from authoritative people? And in fact, when both I debated the CIA female, and FBI, by the way, I'm sorry, both the CIA and the FBI, by the way, warn that they're going to infiltrate the refugee and immigration populations. No, but, and they have in Europe. You. Uh, well, that's why I'm saying James Comey and John yes, Brennan yes. and Michael Steinbeck. Right. And, and so, in fact, when I was on the radio with this woman, she should be in Congress for, with the Democratic Party. She said to me, this is America. We should be able to vet them. And I said, you don't seem to understand. Do you think John Brennan, as the director of CIA, is knowledgeable? Do you think that he's going to lie to the Congress? Why would he lie and say they're going to embed re the refugee flows with terrorists if it's not the case? Why does the head of the FBI say we can't vet these people? And people come on and say, well, they're going to, it's a long process, 24 months. And, and then, of course, Obama <laughs> cut it to 90 days. But right. the point is... If you're staring at a blank computer screen for 24 months, how much have you learned? Nothing. Yep. And basically, they're sitting there looking at a blank screen because they don't have access to the records. Parts of the country are dysfunctional because they've been overrun by terror groups. We're not getting cooperation from the government. We have nobody on the ground who can knock on doors and interview people. What's so hard to understand and, that this is a fool's errand? And right. yet she said to me, but this is America. We should be able to. And I, and I wanted to say to her, you know, tragically, I lost family members to cancer and, and families suffer these kinds of losses. And how many times do people go to a doctor and say to the doctor, mm -hmm. there must be something you can do. And the doctor looks down at the ground, can't even make eye contact. And he says, no, I'm, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. We've, we've used up all of the tricks in the bag. We're done. It happens. Yep. That's what's happened here. We've been told by the leading authorities, the head of the FBI, the head of the CIA, other intelligence people, we cannot vet them. It's not a matter of time. It's a matter of no resources. And you're not going to yeah. get the resources. But they want to argue the point. But, so, so, so now, but here's my point. Right, go ahead. We can't, we can't vet the Syrian refugees. What's the vetting process for aliens who run the border and come in surreptitiously in stealth mode? 
We don't, don't even know right. they're here. Yeah. So the idea that they entered undocumented, here's my way of explaining it, and this upsets the other side, which means I'm probably doing something good. Undocumented means you, no scorecard. And without a scorecard, you can't tell a good guy from a bad guy. That's the document that we're lacking, the scorecard. So understand the danger this subjects Americans to. Sure. And so Donald Trump... When he, when he issued his statement, and, and there was another statement issued recently, <clears throat> when he talked about why they're going after terrorists, he spoke about the 9-11 attacks, 3,000 people killed. He talked about the subsequent attacks, <clears throat> laid it out clearly that my goal as president is to protect the American people. And he said, I also don't want people coming into the United States who believe in honor killings people who will not be respectful of other people's religions, mm -hmm. people who have issues with people's uh, you know, lifestyle choices, the, the gays and so forth. He laid it all out and said, I will not allow foreign nationals to come into the United States when in fact that's how they feel about people who are different from them. And, and he's right. The president has astonishing authority, astonishing authority, on his own to make those decisions. And, and so I, I want to read to you, and, and, and this is actually in my um, front page magazine article, Trump's okay. immigration executive orders in the Constitution. Yes. Because it, here, here right. <clears throat> this is the exact wording. Title 8, United States Code, Section 1182F. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Mm -hmm. Detrimental to the interests is as low a bar as you can imagine. It's very Doesn't vague. say imminent threat of a nuclear bomb going off. Nope. Right? Doesn't say that the guy has killed 48 people and beheaded them all. All it says here, the president, and it doesn't say the president in consulting with anybody else, the president by himself, or if it were a woman by herself, has total discretionary authority. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation an executive order is essentially a proclamation. Right. And for such period as he shall deem necessary, mm -hmm. suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. It's very, very clear. And when the judge in Seattle uh, put a restraining order on Trump's executive order that was signed on January 27th, it did not cite the law because it could not cite the law. And the Ninth <clears throat> Circuit right. Court of Appeals is one of the most liberal courts in the country. I want to move you along here. We're talking to Michael Cutler, um, former Immigration Naturalization Service agent. I just got an alert as we are recording this on Tuesday evening that a man from Missouri has been charged with attempting to aid an ISIS-inspired attack, according to the Justice Department. Now, last week... There was a New York um, operation by ICE, by the Immigration Customs Enforcement, and they arrested criminals. I went over the litany of, of criminals that they arrested last week, and 
They all include sexual assault charges, rape charges, drugs, DUI, yep. robbery, larceny, other criminal offenses, including re-entry upon final orders of removal and an MS-13 gang member. And they're all coming from Central America, Mexico, you name it, South America. And they're coming in through the southern border. So <clears throat> when President Trump says they're not sending their best people, that there are some people that are coming in, well, Mexico's got to be laughing. And they don't care. And the drug cartel business, the money flows through. Am I wrong in that assessment? No, and it's not only Central America. But, but here's what you should know about Mexico when he said that they're sending. Okay. Um, what they also did, and you're probably too young to, to remember this, but around uh, 2010, 2009, mm -hmm. the Mexican government was actually providing their citizens, I think 2008 as well, with comic books that showed them how to evade the Border Patrol. Now, they claimed really? that they were telling them how to cooperate with the Border Patrol. Oh, actually, I vaguely remember this, yes. And then they gave them videotapes of the same material, which was a little bit more high-tech. You know, the, the, the advice was, don't go out in the hot noonday sun, wait till the sun goes down, bring lots of water. They were even providing them with free physicals before they crossed the border to make sure they were up for the journey. Now, think about that. And now the Mexican consulate has issued messages to their citizens saying, if you are encountered by ICE agents, don't lie to them. Just don't talk to them. Whatever they ask you, don't answer them. If they ask you your name, don't tell them your name. If they ask the CID, do not show them anything. This is our ally. These are our friends. You know, goodness gracious. Could you imagine America saying to American citizens, if you go to Great Britain and the British police stop you, don't talk to the guy. Don't do anything. Don't even show him your passport. Could you imagine the U.S. government telling that to American citizens? Uh, no. <clears throat> so these aren't our allies. What Mexico is doing, and it is immoral, and they're being urged on by American corporations, which is why the demonstrators, and I have to mention something a little bit later on about these crazy demonstrators who don't understand that right. they're aiding and abetting the people they hate the most. Corporate America, with NAFTA, with CAFTA, all these free trade agreements, what we've done is to drive down the value of the produce, especially ADM and all these agricultural giants in Mexico, drove down the price of produce, corn, lettuce, stuff that we eat on both sides of the border. Mexican farmers went bankrupt. They lost the homes that had belonged in their family, in some cases, for many generations. When they went bankrupt, they headed north, as did the farmers who worked for them. That's when we had the massive influx of illegal aliens, more than we had ever seen before coming out of Mexico. Right. This has been about exploitation. So they come to the United States. They're treated worse than animals. I raided factories, I raided sweatshops, it made me sick to my stomach. People being swindled out of their wages, working under deadly, dangerous conditions. Think of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory mm -hmm. fire of 100 years ago. Those conditions still existed in the buildings that I raided before I went over to the drug task force. <clears throat> and of course, many of those factories subsequently moved to Malaysia and other third world countries where they've had terrible fires, where hundreds of women died in fires only a couple of years ago. Yeah. 
So this is about a level of exploitation that you would think would have been eradicated along with slavery, but it wasn't. No. So this has been about the uh, indentured servitude of human beings at the behest of American corporations working in cahoots with corrupt governments like Mexico. Mexico has the 17th largest economy in the world. Carlos Slim, a major owner of the New York Times, if you wonder yep. why their editorial policy has gone off the road. <clears throat> At one point, Carlos was the wealthiest man in the world. His wealth is still way, way, way up there. Yeah, he Born sold shares Mexico. recently, too. I'm sorry? He actually sold shares of the Times recently, not all of them, but some. He's still majority Okay, but you understand but, yeah. that he's exerted no, tremendous editorial control. Oh, but this yes. is this is a guy who made his fortune in Mexico, was educated in Mexico. Why then are Mexicans running here? Because there's an oligarchy in Mexico that Americans at the very top of the food chain are envious of. Mm. They look at Mexico and say, wow, we could be like Mexico. Instead of Mexico saying, we want to be like America, we now have American corporations and American politicians from both parties looking with the green eye, with that green eye of envy at Mexico saying, that's what we should turn America into. Yeah. Now, and then you know, Trump I comes along and says that, you're not going to Mexico. Well, yeah, but understand, you know, the guy that robs a store because he needs a container of milk, you know, if I was a cop and saw someone steal a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs, I could never arrest that guy. I'd have to buy his groceries and maybe throw a couple more items in the bag for him because that guy's desperate. Yeah. We're talking about people who are worth billions of dollars. Gates. Right. Zuckerberg. Uh, and, and aided and abetted by Alan Greenspan with his mansion out on the Hamptons. I mean, you're talking yeah. about people that have so much money in a lifetime they can't spend it. And they all they have walls around their homes, by the way. They can't with the interest pouring in. Yeah. Think about this. Yep. And, and the hypocrisy and, of, I mean, they all, they all have walls around their homes, and yes. they live in you know all these fancy places, and they think that they could tell the <clears> United travel, States or they travel you know, regular with a team of bodyguards, not unlike the way the Secret Service protects the president. Right. And these are the ones out there, like Zuckerberg, take down those borders. And Donald Trump said to Zuckerberg, "Why don't you move next to the Mexican border and see how you like that experience?" Yeah. yeah. And he's actually building a wall around his house as we speak. So of um, course he yeah. is. Of course, the little people pay taxes. Yeah, I know, and that's that's the ironic part. If they want to pay more taxes, by the way, go ahead. You could pay more, but I don't <coughs> really want to. Um, Michael Cutler, former Immigration Naturalization Service agent. Um, let me ask you. Let me. Well, all right. Let me slow down for a second because I think by this point, okay. a lot of people have said, "All right." Now, people that agree say are pumped up by this right now, like me, and I could get into a very, you know, I could get into a two-hour conversation with you, which we've had before. Sure. Um, We've had those. Yes, we have. <laughs> but um, in the same regard, there are people on the other side that may be—I don't know why—but get alarmed by this type of um, uh, rhetoric. Well, I know why, but I, I know why. And let me tell you what: the majority of American people are decent, honorable human beings. They are compassionate. Correct. Compassionate to a fault. And when you hear the language being used by the anarchists that this is anti-immigrant. So they're out there saying, not my president. And if you listen to the people that are speaking, what are they saying? He's a xenophobe. He doesn't like foreigners. Listen, let me explain something, folks. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. 
We are the most generous country on the planet where immigration is concerned. We admit a million lawful immigrants every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined. We naturalize hundreds of thousands of new citizens every year, more than the rest of the world combined. We admit tens of thousands of non-immigrant aliens, that is to say, temporary visitors, whether they're tourists, foreign students, exchange visitors, people coming on work visas. So we have a very open door, very generous immigration policy. But it makes no sense to admit more foreign workers than the number of new jobs you're creating when 95 million Americans of working age have left the labor force. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to have totally open borders when we've never seen more narcotics flowing into the country, unless you're a banker, because they love the drugs coming into America. HSBC got fined billions of dollars for laundering drug money, but, you know, too big to jail. Nobody went to jail. They cut the check, and they moved on, and they're probably continuing to do their nonsense. Banks are moving companies. Think of it this way. If I was going to move from my home in Brooklyn to California, I'd call up Allied Van Lines or some other moving company and say, I'm moving from New York to California. And they would say, how many pieces of furniture? Give me an exact mileage. Is there an elevator in the buildings? What do we need to do? We'll move the furniture. They don't care if the furniture is Scandinavian. They don't care if it's provincial. They don't care if it's colonial. They only care how many pieces, how far is it going? Banks move money the same way. They don't care if the money was earned by a surgeon who did heart surgery on on an infant in the United States. They flew him in, and he's sending his money back to his family in Europe. Or if it's a girl working in a brothel, or it's a guy that consummated a drug deal. doesn't matter. Money is money, and if they move it from point A to point B, they get their piece of the action. And if you go to Roosevelt Avenue, and we have to do this one day. Yes, yes, we have to plan this. You go down there. And other neighborhoods, but Roosevelt Avenue is drug central for the Mexican cartels. And by the way, for those who are listening across the country, Roosevelt Avenue in uh, Flushing, Queens, New York, right? Yes, Flushing and uh, and, and Roosevelt uh, along uh, yes. Roosevelt right, yeah, right and by, uh, Jackson Heights, right by City Jackson. Field, where uh, where the Mets play. Yes, exactly right, and right across from LaGuardia Airport. So w- what happens is, twenty four seven, they have the big yellow signs up, twenty four seven where you can move money. And you drive by there at 3 in the morning. It could be 3 in the afternoon. You have a line of people waiting at the counter to do cash transactions, to wire money out of the United States. How many people wake up at 3 in the morning and say, oh, my gosh, I've got a paycheck? Nobody. Nobody. What you're watching are people walking into those places, and I'm willing to take a bet that 9 out of 10 times, that person is moving money because they just consummated a drug deal. Wow. That's how significant it is. That's where the violence comes from. That's where the gangs come from. I started investigating MS-13 in the early 1990s, and because we didn't have the resources, it grew from the pimple on the backside of an elephant into a giant because we ignored it. If you allow a roof to have a little leak and you don't patch the leak, more leaks will develop. Eventually, the roof comes down, and then it brings the whole house down. All right, so let me ask you this. Um, again, Michael Cutler, former immigration agent, uh, also a contributor and, to and Front I spent half my, And I spent half my time with the Drug Task Force. I've arrested yes. terrorists in my career. And I want people to know that because what I'm speaking about isn't conjecture. No, this you're speaking from experience. Yes, and that's why we have you on the program. And so I want to continue 
where you talk about drugs and and you know again like i said before you know where the bodies are buried you know where this yep. is occurring you just mentioned roosevelt avenue in flushing queens anyone could go there right now there's probably a drug deal going on and you know you just this happens in our streets and the sad part is Forget about the adults for a second. If you're worried, you know, you're worried about DACA and you're worried about these um, kids who didn't ask to be here, you know, that are just here by their parents. A lot of the kids are being hurt the most because they're the ones that are being fallen victim to the gangs in the inner cities. They're being uh, victim to the drug dealing and then they get hooked and then their life is ruined. So it's actually or they're our- walking by when there's a shootout and a stray bullet nails them in the head or their chest. And we've right. seen that how many times. And so if you know, and this, these are <clears throat> common sense policies that um, are geared to actually help children, but people don't see it that way, that they look for the easy way out and they turn a blind eye. Well, if you know where all these things are happening, how come nothing's been done about this? Because we have sanctuary cities, because Mayor de Blasio doesn't care if people die. Right, and that goes for 300 If Mayor de Blasio really cared about public safety, he would look at the— uh, Look, again, understand, illegal aliens who enter the United States may simply be looking for a job, okay? Maybe they just want to work in the back of a restaurant, wash dishes, make a couple of bucks, fine. Uh, it's a problem for us, but I don't compare that guy— with a guy who's here because he's a terrorist or because he committed multiple homicides and he's on the run. But here's the problem, folks. How do you tell an innocuous illegal alien from an illegal alien who is either a fugitive or a terrorist or a gang member? Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell you that I have raided factories. Uh, probably the best story that I can illustrate, we had a new kid come fl- fresh out of the academy. He was first day out of the academy. He was riding with me. My partner jumped in a car with another agent. So there were about six of us. And we were raiding locations, looking for illegal aliens. There was a strike going on at a glass factory. We walked in. I said to the owner, can I interview your people? He said, sure. He said, but all my people are legal. This was before hiring an illegal alien was, was illegal. This goes back to the early 80s. Right. There's a young man there in great physical shape, maybe 30-ish, 35 when I say young man, I'm on the wrong side of 60. So uh, he's working in the glass factory. The guy was in great shape, wearing a muscle shirt. You know, you could see he works out a lot. Very pleasant. I said to him, what's your name? He gives me his name. I said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from back then. It was British, Honduras, Belize. And I said, are you a citizen? You have a green card. What's your story? Well, I had a green card. Now I'm an American. I said, great. Give me your name. Give me your date of birth. I call my office because that should be on file if he naturalized. We come up with no record. And I said, there's something wrong here. So I said to the other guys, and I had warned this new kid. I said, listen, just because the guy's working in a factory, don't think for a moment that there might not be something more serious going on. Always be careful. Mm-hmm. You know, half the FBI's 10 most wanted get arrested by local cops stopping someone for speeding or blowing a red light. Yeah, yes, Always be true. careful. You're dropping your hook in a very deep ocean. You don't know what you may catch. So I, I, we go up to him, we converge on him from three different directions, looking at the shape he was in and so forth. I said, this guy is going to be a handful if he decides to duke it out. So he's got a piece of glass in his hand, and he's, he starts moving. He's, he's on the balls of his feet, and he's moving left, he's moving right. You would think he was playing basketball. And I said to him, listen, put the glass down. It's a weapon. I said, this could easily turn into a situation where I would wind up using deadly force. I don't want it. You don't want it. Put the glass down. We're all armed. And I see a threat to my life. That glass can be used as a knife. He puts the glass down. We immediately cuff him up. 
And I said to him, we're taking you into the office. We're going to sort out who you are, but I know you're lying to me. The owner comes running over. He said, this guy's been working for me for seven months. I trust him. He actually has the keys to my factory. He opens for me. He gets in an oh, hour God. before I do, so I can take my time getting in in the morning because traffic is usually bad. Well, whose fault is I that? said, so <laughs> you've, you've given the guy the keys to your office and everything else. He said, yes, he's honest. I vouch for him. I said, I'll call you back later. Something is definitely amiss. As we're walking out, now picture this. The guy is handcuffed from behind. He's working the water fountain with his hands behind his back, and he's drinking the stream of water over his shoulder huh. like a contortionist. Huh. I immediately looped his belt through his handcuffs to make sure he didn't slide them under his rear end in our car. As we're driving in, I get a call on the radio. Hey, Mike, your gut was unbelievable. You, we got a story for you. We pull into the garage. I said, what, what's the story? He lied about his name. The guy had actually been convicted of a homicide, had done time in jail, was deported, came back, was prosecuted for unlawful reentry, was in a federal penitentiary and escaped. True story. Well, that owner's an idiot. And I called the owner up and I brought him a copy of the guy's rap sheet. And you had to see the look on the owner's face. I thought we were going to have to call 911 to get him an ambulance. Wow. He, he collapsed into a chair, and he told me he thought his heart was going to pop out of his throat. Yeah, he said, yeah. I've never been so scared in my life. Huh. I said, do you understand the problem we have here? He said, my gosh, I could never have imagined he's the nicest guy in the world. I said, yes, we always hear that. How many times when the Nazi hunters were out there, most of those dirtbags are dead now, finally, thankfully. You know, my family was decimated by that scum during the Holocaust. And how many times did you hear, oh, I can't imagine that he killed 10,000 people at Auschwitz. He smiled at me and my daughter every time we walked by. Really? And And he took care of his roses. Hey, listen, this isn't the crabgrass police. The guy was a mass murderer. Yeah, and Hillary Clinton is a warm grandmother. He smiled at me so we think he's okay. Yeah, sure. And and that's the challenge. Now, now, so this comes to what I love that Trump is doing. One of the orders that came out is that there is no longer any category of illegal alien not subject to arrest and deportation. Yep. Obama created all kinds of categories. And if an agent arrested somebody who turned out to be in the category – that agent could be suspended. Some agents were suspended. Which means they didn't make any arrests. Right, because as we used to say, big cases, big problems, little cases, little problems, no cases, no problems. So you've intimidated the agent, and then you've told the terrorists how to embed themselves in America. Run the border, don't spit on the sidewalk, don't jaywalk, don't speak up loudly to anybody, Don't do anything that gets anyone to pay attention to you, which, by the way, is what spies are also trained to do if you see the movie Bridge uh, Bridge of Spies. And in fact, that guy wasn't really arrested. Rudolph Abel was not arrested by an FBI agent. I know he was in the movies. In, In real life, Rudolph Abel was arrested by an immigration agent for violating immigration law. That's how serious immigration laws are. Yeah. So understand what Trump has done. 
He is saying, look, we're going to focus on criminals. And that was the advice I gave Al D'Amato when he was our senator back in the 80s. And we created the aggravated felon reentry law that makes unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year maximum crime. I actually got to make the first arrest in New York for violation of that law that we helped to write, which was, I, I was ecstatic beyond words, a Dominican drug dealer. Not a Mexican, a Dominican who had lost his green card because of a whole bunch of drug-related arrests and firearms violations. But the point is that I said to D'Amato, focus on the criminals, but not exclusively, because the integrity of the immigration system requires that any illegal alien who is discovered becomes subject to arrest and deportation. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Trump has done. So that if some agent finds somebody who's here illegally, they can bring the guy into the office without fear Oh, my God, I arrested the wrong illegal alien. There is no such animal anymore under this administration. Now, he's done something else that I recommended. I wrote an article a while back. I think it was for Caps Web, and I called it what we need is compile, C-O-M-P-I-L-E. That was my answer to comprehensive immigration reform, which really wasn't comprehensive, except it would leave no illegal alien out. Compile stood for, you're going to like this one, comprehensive immigration law enforcement mm -hmm. compile how's that great and so one of the other issues that i raised and i've spoken with people who are now part of the trump administration i guess they like my advice when kids are smuggled into the united states by smugglers the parents need to be prosecuted who in their right mind <clears throat> would give over a child to smugglers Alien smugglers are second on the list of scumbags next to terrorists. Right, now that's they addressed little this girls, memo They today. kill people, right? They're violent, they're sociopathic. Yep. Who in their right mind would say, here's my eight-year-old daughter, bring her to New York? And they do it. And if you go driving and you have a child in the car and you speed or you run red lights and the kid is not in a safety seat, you're going to jail for endangering the welfare of that child, and you should go to jail. Well, wait a moment. If that's going to get you into jail, how is it that people that send their kids with smugglers through the desert where there's poisonous insects and poisonous snakes and dirtbag smugglers and the parent has nothing to worry about? No, that parent needs to go to jail and be criminally prosecuted, yeah. and now that's something Trump wants to do also. This is about ending lawlessness. And again, these yep, are unfair to law and order. These are common sense laws. Common sense, you I agree. Realize that? I, I completely agree. Michael Culler, uh, former Immigration Naturalization Service agent. Um, all right, so you have all of these problems. In fact, all right, let me make a comparison because you're great with the analogies. But one analogy okay. I have because you're talking about, um, you know, the uh, – extortion, um, the uh, children's, uh, endangering children. To me, it's like Taken, where you ever see Taken, the movie? I've seen parts of it, yeah, so, sure. So, you know, the girl gets uh, brought, it goes to a country on, you know, on uh, vacation or whatever it was for school project, and she's taken, and she's sold into um, child uh, slavery. She's uh, put in as a, as a sex slave. That stuff still goes on in our country, and they're smuggled yes. in here. 
that's how, how going frequent on, does that we happen? We also know that terrorist organizations recruit kids, and that was the other argument I had with this female attorney, right? Who said to me, "You're not going to tell me children are terrorists." I said, "Do you know what's going on in Africa, where you have children in the army, six-year-old kids with rifles killing yep. other people?" Look at ISIS. Look at Iraq and Syria. That's right. So understand the danger. And by the way, dreamers, and I know that Donald Trump is, is making an exception for now. For now. But here's yeah. what everyone should think about. The cutoff, the age cutoff is 31. They have to claim they came here by the time they were 15. Yeah, how do we know how that? How do you verify when they came here, <coughs> pardon me, if they don't create a record by running the border and we're not even sure about their identity? Again, let's remember, they're undocumented. Now, Donald Trump is doing something else, expedited removals. If you run the border, this is no longer limited to being close to the border. If an agent finds you, you're an illegal alien. If they can find you anywhere in the United States, if you cannot prove to the satisfaction of the agents, (coughs) pardon me, that you've been here more than two years, you're being removed from the United States. Good, as, as they should. Expedited removal. Yep. And so, all right, l- where do we go from here? And again, Mr. Cutler, uh, immigration agent, or former immigration agent, and you can check him out, uh, michaelcutler.net, and he writes for Front Page Magazine and CAPS as well, <laughs> CAPSweb.org. Uh, all right, so if you were advising, and I know you're not, and I know you're maybe in contact with some people, you had uh, you had yep. conversations <clears throat> with um, then-Senator Sessions, now Attorney General Sessions. So if you were advising the Trump administration, if you were advising the Justice Department and ICE, how would you – they're working on a – in fact, by next week, President Trump is supposed to have a plan on his desk from right. General James Mattis and his national security team and Sessions and, and the whole crew. If you were advising <laughs> them, how would you go about extreme vetting? Well, extreme vetting is very difficult, and and that's why enforcement from the interior is significant, because no matter how much you vet somebody, you're not going to catch everybody. You know, it's like Minority Report looking for pre-crime. So so what he's doing with interior enforcement is exactly what we need to back up the vetting process that's done before the folks get here. The key here is to make certain that Congress appropriates the money that Trump needs to hire the 10,000 additional ICE agents. See, everything he's doing is is, is spot on. I've been going over this very carefully, and I'm not trying to dislocate my shoulder, but it looks very much as though someone looked at my congressional testimony, because I've been before all those hearings. Looks like they looked at my 9-11 commission testimony, and I've had conversations And I said, interior enforcement, interior enforcement, and that's what they're doing. You know, when I was an agent, we had about 2,000 immigration agents for the whole country. We now have about 5,000 agents, but half of them are doing customs work. In fact, um, the way that George W. Bush created the Department of Homeland Security, I called it the Department of Homeland Surrender. They mixed immigration in with customs, with agriculture, with the sky marshals. It was designed to be unwieldy. And if you don't believe that, I wrote an article not long ago where I, I cited the testimony of John Hostetler, who at the time chaired the House Immigration Subcommittee, the position now held by Trey Gowdy. And, and John uh, was a Republican, or is a Republican. <clears throat> I did a bunch of hearings for him. And he talked about the way that they put DHS together 
ran contrary to the 9-11 Commission report and contrary to the Homeland Security Act by which they created DHS. Right. He was very frustrated, very upset with the prior administration, that's to say okay. the Bush administration. <clears throat> so what we really need to do is the president has got to um, deal with training the new agents. Perhaps he should bring in a bunch of old timers who did the job the right way 20 years ago when we had the resources which was rare. That was a big problem uh -huh. because institutional memory has been lost. You also have managers who came in within the past 15 years. There's a lot of managers who never really did immigration law enforcement because the focus of DHS has been more about intellectual property rights. They were more concerned with people selling counterfeit Gucci loafers than counterfeit passports. Yeah. And the counterfeit passport to, business, by the way, has gotten very very lucrative for these ISIS always fighters. Has been. It's yeah, always well, it's been. even more so now. <clears throat> yes, but but understand that when they created the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 86, that was the Reagan Act, another uh -huh. disaster. I know there are conservatives who get upset with me, but that's fine. I don't mind. You can be angry with me. I'm just going to tell you what I saw from the inside. Right. Ronald Reagan gave us the first amnesty and said if anyone gets past the border basically we're not going to do much in the interior. Mm -hmm. Then they created a law that makes it a crime for knowingly hiring, but we didn't have the agents to pursue it. And then within that amnesty that Mr. Reagan gave us, there was a confidentiality component that meant that as an immigration agent, let's say, Neil, you're with the FBI and you come to me and you say, Mike, we're looking for this guy. We believe he's got a pair of atom bombs in the back of a U-Haul trailer. Okay. We know he wants to set him off in two major cities. We need his photo. Do you know anything about him? Then I say to you, well, you know what, Neil? The only thing I have on this guy is an amnesty file. Great. Can I see it? Are there photos? Oh, yeah, there's photos. Great. I need the photos. Can't give it to you. We were prohibited from sharing those files with any other law enforcement agency under the penalty of committing a five-year felony. You no would sense. have had to go to a magistrate to get a court order before I could give you that paperwork. That makes no sense, and that goes to the problem today where law enforcement is not communicating <clears throat> among different levels. And the mayors, like in New York City, got, you know, the, de Blasio. Sanctuary mayors, sanctuary states, they yeah, should exactly. be arrested and prosecuted. I agree. I think they should go after de Blasio. Security. Yeah, and San Francisco, for that matter, and all, and of, all them. of them, 300 like, jurisdictions. Look, you've got the state of California, right? You have, you have yeah. Governor Moon. Some of them want to succeed there. from the union. <laughs> go ahead. I, I, but, but understand the problem we have. The immigration laws are supposed to keep terrorists out. Look at the 9-11 Commission report. They were so crystal clear yep. about immigration failed, and that's why 9-11 happened. If, if I had to boil down all the investigative work that was done, that's your conclusion. I was one of hundreds of people that were deposed. But if you look at what everyone came up with, basically, immigration failed, people died. Yeah. And what did we do in response? Made it worse. You know, how six so? months how, after how did they get worse since 9-11? Six months after 9-11, to everyone's horror, it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta, the ringleader, yeah. and Marwan al-Shehi, had been granted authorization to go to flight school. Now, the whole world knew they were terrorists and they were dead. That was a monumental screw-up. And they held this hearing. I was one of the four witnesses called by the House Judiciary Committee. I was called by Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat, with the concurrence of Jim Sensenbrenner, who chaired the House Judiciary Committee at the time, conservative Republican, mm -hmm. everyone agreed immigration was the issue. And within two or three years, guess what happened? 
immigration, according to the Democrats, had nothing to do with terrorism. <sighs> and not a single promise made no at sense. that hearing was kept. No, of course not, because they're all talk, no action. And President Trump has been the only oh, no, one that has, talking, you know, the balls no, to say it's it. Not, it's, it's not just no talk, no all that. Here's what they're doing. Yeah. They are doing a kabuki theater on us. Those people are getting amazing amounts of money for their campaigns by globalists. This yeah. is about globalists versus populists. You know, the, yeah. Yanks, the Yankees versus the Red Sox. It's not the left versus the right. It's the globalists versus the populist. Yeah, the How many members of Congress, both parties, are globalists? Think about it. Most of them, all the establishment. That's right. Right. And who is the populist? Donald it's Trump. Donald Trump, yep. And that's what they keep saying. This man's no Republican. He's a populist. Yeah, as Someone if it's negative. Someone shows them the Declaration of Independence, which starts out with what three words? We the people. We the people. And is that not a statement of populism? Of course. And not only that, but what is, if you look at the Constitution, and I have my own copy on my desk. It's less than two feet away from me right now. And what what are the powers of the president? It's to protect the American people. That's his biggest duty. Is to protect right. the American people. It, he's not the president of the globe, and I always say this. He his not his duty is not to protect, you know, Russia. His duty is not to protect immigrants. His duty is to protect the United States citizens. Right. So so, so yeah. explain explain then how this happens. Right. That that we have people out there screaming, "Not my president!" Because he dares to say what. I want to protect the American people. I want to protect the jobs of American workers. And you have these idiots screaming, not my president. So now we come to um, um, this, this, this protester. And this was a Newsweek magazine. Okay. So this guy gets up there and says, well, I'm, I'm only five foot three. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I think he was transsexual, something Jewish guy. And he says, you know, I'm kind of intimidated. I've never been in a fight, but I'm going to go out there with black block. You know, we've probably you've probably seen this yes, black yes. and then the word BLOC, which started, I believe, in Germany back around 1999 or so. Yeah, and I'm going to go out there and, and, and peaceful demonstrations don't do it anymore. So we have to go out there and we have to get violent and cave in some skulls and get people to listen to us. And, and who is he angry at? Who are these people screaming about? Well, they're angry at the bankers. Well, I don't like bankers either. I think it was Bob Hope who said bankers are no one's friends. They'll lend you money only after you could prove you didn't need it in the first place. Yeah. So bankers are, are the money guys, right? He's against the big corporations that are screwing over their workers. I hate those bums also. I don't advocate violence, but certainly protests are fine. But what are they doing? How are they screwing over American workers? by importing gazillions of foreign workers to right. drive down wages and displace American workers. Exactly. These kids are so stupid that they don't understand. They don't realize that, that they actually support Trump's policies. <laughs> what no, they're fighting for, they, no, they're supporting Trump's policies. No, what they don't understand is they're demonstrating, and their demonstrations are helping the banks and the corporations that they detest. I know. Because by blocking Trump, by trying to block Trump from enforcing the immigration laws, we continue to import an army of foreign workers. And don't forget, there's always room for more oarsmen on a slave ship. I, I just yeah. want to read to you. This is the first 
paragraph in the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is an official report printed by the government printing office. It was written by the agents and attorneys that worked with the 9-11 Commission. You're going to love this. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons that we discuss in the following pages that it must be made one. So you, you listen to that new. and you say to yourself, what are we thinking? And then we come to this paragraph. Now, the, type, the title of this is Exploring the Link Between Human Smugglers and Terrorists. Now, listen to this. Mm -hmm. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. And so then you're talking about legalizing everybody. Final paragraph. Yeah. This is on page 98 of that report. Okay. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. Right. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefits suffice to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States. We, train, we actually train them to kill us. Girls and execute an attack. Yeah, and also, not, not only that, but that's 2001. <laughs> we're now in 2017 where we have the Internet that obviously our government systems, and it's so clear because there have been GAO reports, Government Accountability Office reports, how outdated our computer systems are. And then, of course, the NSA debacle, and we had to, you know, take that out because of Snowden. Um, so we really have no clue in some regards what is going on uh, via a lot of these cloud services and a lot of these things that we cannot track. There are more threats today than ever. I mean, we're lucky. Again, I, I, just to reference that uh, breaking news that I got this evening— about the uh, Missouri man who was uh, yep. arrested, charged with attempting to aid an ISIS-inspired attack, according to the Justice Department. We're lucky well, that we his, caught what's that. His, what's, his what's his ethnicity? I, I don't know that. I'm just looking at the alert. Um, I didn't yep. look at a story yet. Um, but that doesn't matter. Reg I mean, maybe it does. But regardless, it's we have threats to our homeland every day, and the the ones that are seeping through Ohio State— San Bernardino, and it goes on and on. They're being radicalized on the internet, and there are more ways to hide their activities from us. The Boston bombers attacking, which we should have caught, because the FBI did interview Zarnayev. Um, well, uh, so, so wait, well, yeah, stop. Go ahead. Let me let me, the Boston bombers. Okay, now again, I've arrested T terrorists. Now, here's what, what bugs me. 
These guys, the family got political asylum. They're Russians, right? They're yes. Chechens. They immediately went on airplanes, voluntarily went back to Russia. Political asylum means that you have a, a, a um, credible fear that if you go home, you will face persecution or worse. Right. There was no regime change. As soon as they got on that airplane and flew back to Russia, they made it clear that they had committed fraud. Remember what I just read to you. They committed fraud by claiming political asylum. If they wanted asylum, why did they then go home voluntarily? Did they really fear the situation at home? No, they didn't. Could they have been prosecuted? Yes, they could. Now, beyond political asylum, they got Greek cards. There's supposed to be an investigation. Obviously, if they did the investigation, they would have known what these kids were up to. They didn't. One of the two terrorists became a naturalized citizen. While one of them had his application being held up while they were still scrutinizing it, one of those two thugs was a naturalized citizen, naturalized within a year of the attack. How did they naturalize this guy without conducting an investigation? If you look at the law, when people seek citizenship, they are supposed to undergo what's known as a GMC, a good moral character investigation. Okay. Good moral character goes beyond running a rap sheet. Good moral character means... Charlie Smith from Great Britain now wants to become an American. He has no arrests. But you go to the neighbors and they say to you, oh, Charlie Smith is a really nice guy, but you know he gets paid every other Friday. And when he gets paid, he has this habit of going to a bar, gets drunker than a skunk. Then he goes to this hooker house where he hangs out to three in the morning. And if his wife dares say anything to him, he's put his wife in the hospital three times. And one day got so angry to get even with the kids that he threw their pet dog out the window. Now, the guy never got convicted of any crimes, but I'm going to tell you what, Charlie Smith would never be naturalized because if that turned up during his good moral character investigation, he does not possess good moral character. Right. So here we have people that apparently had become involved with terrorism, and you're going to tell me that within a year of that application, they gave one guy citizenship? They didn't uncover it because there is no integrity to the immigration system. And that goes back to Clinton. Doris Meisner was the um, uh, commissioner of the old INS. And she made a statement that she thought as commissioner that her job was to naturalize as many new citizens as possible. They ran a program called Citizenship USA, where they ran more than 1.1 million applications for citizenship through the system faster than you know what goes through a goose. I had one of my good friends who was the chief of a major office of the INS testify before the Government Committee on Oversight and Investigations. He referred to that process as the Jiffy Lube process because so many people were naturalized before even their fingerprints came back. Mm. And it was so bad that members of INS called up Internal Affairs, the Office of Inspector General, and said, we are being compelled to approve applications and we don't even have fingerprints back. They did an investigation and found thousands of aliens who not only shouldn't have been naturalized, they should have been deported. My friend for testifying was removed from management within something like three weeks. They tried to fire him. Understand the level of malfeasance by an agency that is a critical component of national security. It's not by accident that immigration was put within the Department of Homeland Security. But the way that the agenda of the Bush machine went, immigration was something that was an impediment to the wealth of too many people 
probably his campaign contributors and God knows who else. So they obstructed the enforcement of the immigration laws. Right. So, all right, uh, former INS agent uh, Michael Cutler, and I appreciate you spending the time because these are great issues. And this is, you know, an on-demand podcast, which is great because anyone can listen back to this and and go through it. And if you look up michaelcutler.net, you'll see uh, Mr. Cutler's articles. You can also find a lot of uh, the committee hearings online. They're all on YouTube. Let me tell you the details. As while you were talking, I got this up, and this is great news about technology. You could quickly get the story up. So let me tell you, this is a 25-year-old Columbia, Missouri man charged with attempting to provide material support to people he thought were ISIS-inspired terrorists, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. His name is Robert Lorenzo Hester, Jr. He was actually speaking with undercover FBI agents who invented a fake plan targeting Kansas City. Now, they must have had intelligence that said he uh, was looking to um, launch an ISIS-inspired attack or or provide uh, support to an ISIS-inspired attack. He said that he wanted to um, uh, engage in a jihad against the U.S. Um, And there are some—I don't know if that's confirmed. There is a a Muslim name associated with this gentleman, but so— most likely a radical Islamic terrorist, obviously talking about jihad. I cannot confirm whether that uh, the name is... Uh, well, but here's what happens. Right, so so now, the one point that I have to make, if we were to talk about that as well, and I want your listeners to understand the problem that yes. we have. And I've raised this point both at hearings and when I spoke at Chapman Law School, and Michael Chertoff, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, was there as well. Most people don't know this. When an alien naturalizes, that alien may, on the day of being sworn in as an American, take a brand new name. Okay. So, and here's where the dangerous part comes in. So you could have somebody with, let's say, an Arabic-sounding name, or whatever name, pick a name. But he can get an Anglo-sounding name, but his U.S. passport will only reflect his new name. Hmm. And I've made this point at numerous congressional hearings that when somebody naturalizes, just like when a woman gets married, gets divorced, they generally put all the other names. Why not put the person's original name that they had before they became a United States citizen? I I know of a specific case, a good friend of mine who was an inspector at a major port of entry called me up and he was beside himself. Some guy had come in to uh, to the airport and he had an American passport that said his country of birth was Lebanon. And the guy's name was, was you know, my top secret um, clearance had expired, so he didn't give me the name, and I don't need it, but let's say it's Robert Anderson. That's an Anglo-sounding name. He runs Robert Anderson, comes back, no record. But the guy spoke with a super heavy Arabic accent, born in Lebanon. Apparently his parents weren't Americans, his guests, which means he probably naturalized. Right. And he's flipping through the guy's passport, and in the last four years, he had traveled extensively throughout Europe, the Middle East, and Latin America. Then he said to this guy, as though he knew it, tell me, for, so that I know you're not giving me a BS story, what was your name before your naturalization? Well, he gave him the name. It was an Arabic name. He ran that name. It turned out this guy was a wanted international terrorist. So this guy gained entry into dozens of countries all over the world in what was essentially an assumed identity that the United States inadvertently provided him with by giving him that U.S. passport and purely his new name. Unbelievable. And when I said to Michael Chertoff, and when I've said to members of Congress, this is a gaping hole the size of the Grand Canyon, fix it. 
All it requires is adding a new name so that the people of other countries, the immigration folks at those other countries will know who this guy really is. The answer was, well, that's too political a thing for us to deal with. Oh, jeez. They make everything well, political. It's common sense. No, it's not American political. Lives. It's not about political correctness. This, again, is about the agenda of the globalists to not impede people from traveling. Understand the problem. When I was testifying at a hearing before the House Judiciary Committee, one of the other witnesses was an executive with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They're the reasons why the visa waiver program keeps expanding. We keep getting told by everybody from the CIA to other intelligence agencies to immigration to you name it. The visa waiver program is dangerous. On 9-11, we had 26 visa waiver countries. Today, we have 38. Because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, in partnering with the hotel, hospitality, and travel industries to create what they call the Discover America Partnership, have pumped millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into campaign coffers of politicians to force them to expand the visa waiver program, and it should have ended. So you have the Chamber of Commerce telling me at the hearing during a recess, he says, you're making much too much about border security. And I said, you know, those borders are our first and last line of defense. And you know what his answer was, Neil? He said, that border is an impediment to my wealth. Oh, boy. And I said, my neighbors died on 9-11. He said to me, nothing is 100% safe. Oh, my God. You you want to kill him. him. I hope, I hope that if there's another terrorist attack, they don't hurt a hair on your head, but I hope they wipe out your family and you get to see it happen up close and in person. Yeah. I said, because that's what happened to my na- my neighbors. Disgusting. And, but you see, that's what we're up against, because these bums with all that money have bought themselves the best government money can buy. And you know why Donald Trump scares them? He doesn't need their money. Exactly. And that's why millions of Americans voted for him. And that's why they uh, they want to support their country and these globalists and the nonsense protesters and rioters. They're really anarchists the are not even idiots. giving them they a freaking chance. Idiots. But honestly, I think I think in a weird way, these rioters are actually helping Trump because this is exactly why he's in there. This is exactly why people voted for him was to shake things up and to end this nonsense and the corruption. I'm going to make a prediction. A prediction. Go ahead. I'm going to make a prediction. Sooner or later, unless we're talking about the rent a mob crowd and or, or, or the total wackaloons, right? George the Soros people capable of thinking will start to understand that they've been played for suckers. Yep. They've been made fools of. That guy that said, you know, those banks and so forth, he's right. And then you're out there saying bring in more workers so we can displace more Americans. If this guy would just stop long enough to to get maybe three of his brain cells to fire in unison, he would be able to understand that the strategy of the banks, the strategy of the unscrupulous corporations, the strategy of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, is to flood America with an army of cheap labor. And by the way, not just at the bottom rung, but the middle rungs as well. Alan Greenspan, who I have zero use for, testified for Chuck Schumer April 30th, 2009, before the House, I'm sorry, the Senate Immigration Subcommittee, and Chuck was the chairman. Greenspan called for a major increase in the number of H-1B visas, paralleling 
what Gates said he wants. And by the way, the Gates and, Hitler, and Clinton foundations have partnered together, especially in Africa, so they can exploit Africa. These aren't for take their money. Yeah, I know. And they if take you, money from they take money believe, from those if, who sponsor listen, if terrorism. Gates, if you believe Gates and Zuckerberg are philanthropists, then you would believe that Colonel Sanders is looking out for the best interest of chickens. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've got um, um, Alan Greenspan testifying for Schumer, referring to American highly skilled workers, and by highly skilled, we're talking about programmers, engineers, those folks. Right. Called them the privileged elite. Think of that. Earning a wage premium because they're not being subjected to foreign competition. He said if we would stop shielding them from foreign competition, we could eliminate that wage premium that they're getting. And then we would greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. What's the goal here? Let's get rid of the premium by making Americans compete with foreign workers. We can drive down the middle class wages so that they will be virtually indistinguishable from the working poor. Yeah. And then what have you got? It's called communism. Yeah, and, and by it's the going way, that way. And that's exactly what the, the left wing Democrats want. They do, but the public doesn't understand it. They're too no, they stupid. Don't. They've they been don't. duped. And, and listen, I, I want Sanders. you to think about this. I, I want you to think about this. Okay. When they talk about wage equality, 10, 10 an hour, or wage equality, $15 an hour, I'm a Democrat. I agree with minimum wage. I know my conservative friends don't agree, and that's fine. And by the way, they are my friends. I'm not being sarcastic like those sure. snotty politicians. We can disagree as Americans. That's our birthright. We celebrate America by debate. I was going to teach debate on the college level had I not become a federal agent. Yeah, you're better but off not because point. there aren't, there isn't debate on college campuses anymore. They don't let you no, speak that, if you have a conservative. That's worrying. There were book burnings in Nazi Germany before the Holocaust. Now you've got people being silenced on campuses. But here's my oh, point. Yeah. $15 an hour works out to just over 30000 a year. If that's wage equality, yeah, it's nothing. are we now talking about a standard wage? Is that what we're going for? Understand yeah. what's being done, and most people don't get it. If you stop long enough to think about it, have those discussions with your neighbors and ask them how $15 an hour equates to wage equality. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. About, and the goal is not to work at McDonald's point. the rest of your life. Do you follow my point? Yes, I do. Um, just as I'm getting this information, oh, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off there. No, I was just going to say that's the way to defeat the nonsense. Engage your neighbors in conversation. Well, Don't get you know, violent. you try, but you're, you're usually called a, a bigot. Make them think. <laughs> Make them walk away from you yeah. where maybe that night before they nod off to sleep, they say, gee whiz, I spoke to Neil and he said something and it's bugging me. I better go check this out. <laughs> Plant well, that knows? seed maybe, of that. Maybe they're listening to this Give podcast. Them my website. Let them go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Sure. Let them read some of my articles. Let them see if they want to maybe look at things from a different angle. If they're parents, if they're grandparents, we're talking about the future of our children and their children. I have yep. four kids. I have a granddaughter. I'm doing this for them and for all of America's kids because I want the next generation to have the opportunities that I had. Yeah, safety is most important. Um, I am getting uh, just information uh, now, New York Daily News on this. Um, this person accused of supporting a, a fake ISIS attack, which um, was a uh, sting operation by the Justice Department. Um, it was a former Army soldier had converted to Islam. Uh, again, Robert Lorenzo Hester in Missouri charged with attempting to supply material support to a sting Islamic State attack. He wanted to be, quote, 10 times more than the Boston bombing. 
um, 26-year-old, converted to Islam, went by names including Muhammad, Wanad, I uh, can't pronounce it, but Al-Amraki, so a, uh, a Muslim name was contacted by undercover FBI agents after posting radical views on social media. And that's what happened, okay. So yeah, uh, probably PTSD and then whatever became radicalized. Crazy story. It sounds like um, the Dallas uh, shooting, where it was the uh, where it was an it, army it, that it could be. But look, we need we need vigilance, and you have to look at the drug cartels, the damage that does. Yep. If you look, if you look at the poverty, if you look at the poverty in America's minority communities in particular, and I spent I don't know how many hours in those neighborhoods, we have American kids who are being treated like throwaways. You know, and you saw those kids are out there demonstrating. These are kids with no sense of hope for the future. It breaks my heart because they're being manipulated by these bums who are out there using their frustration and their fears as a political tool. You see, And, and if you look at that situation and you say to yourself, what have we done? vilifying the police you know those kids when they see a cop because they're probably making money outside the law because there are no real opportunities so the cop isn't their friend the cop is an adversary and that's how the tragedies happen and then when you have black lives matter and they exploit the suffering and the poverty and and the despair and turn it into a political machine to try to upset the apple cart here in right. the United States. Where they States. also exclude others, so they're really not all inclusive. And but they shout, what do we want, thing. dead yeah, cops, but, but when do we want it now? that's the about identity politics. You know, I've yeah. written about this. I, I want to make a, a last crap. point here, and I want yeah, everyone to think ahead. about this. Sure. We hear so much about the Latino voter. What, this, what I find in that terminology is a disgusting form of racism. I agree. Why would any American, and I said this when I went before the Indiana State Senate this past August, I, I, why would any American be happy that gang members, drugs, and terrorists are pouring across our borders? No one. Because your last name is Rodriguez, you want something different from the guy whose last name is Smith, Jackson, or Goldstein? Yeah, it's an inherently— poli- the inherent yeah. racism yep. in the notion of Latino voters? They play this identity politics, and it's actually racism on their level, but they only see racism as against blacks. They don't see it as against no, – they, they see anything when they want to against, see it. Yeah, Listen, yeah you're right. Cop, Hypocrisy. If a, if a cop – if a cop – these so-called journalists on the talk shows, if a cop engaged in profiling – and there is a legitimate um, way of profiling. Look, it, if you're profiling in law enforcement – you're looking at a bunch of factors. It's behavioral, it's situational, it's yeah. appearance, it's a million things. If I'm up in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood and a white kid is circling the block, and I know that there's been many narcotics transactions on that block, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's plenty of parking, but this guy is cruising around, and he's circling, and he's circling, and he's got a brand-new car without a state plates at 3 o'clock in the morning, this guy's looking for a drug connection. And so you pull him over very politely. Son, could you pull to the curb? Let me see a license and registration. Who are you looking for? What are you up here doing? And one thing leads to another. Am I profiling in that situation? Of course we were. Was it based on race? No. What it was based on, yeah, the kid was white, but it was out of town car, fancy vehicle, three o'clock in the morning, a neighborhood where there's lots of drug activity, there's parking spaces, but this guy's driving around. How many factors go into that stop? But when you have a journalist talk about the Latino voter, all he says is 
if your last name is Rodriguez, I know everything I need to know about you. Think how racist that is. Yeah, it is. You know, I was I, I went I was in I was in North Carolina. I have a good friend. I jokingly call him my brother from another mother. And this is important. My friend Mark is a history professor in North Carolina. He's like I think twentieth generation American. His family goes back to prior to Daniel Boone. In fact, he brought me to Daniel Boone's family's graveside when I was in North Carolina. It's kind of an historic site there. Okay. And and we're very similar, even though He's Southern Baptist. I'm a Jewish kid from the biggest city in the United States. And we've become good friends. And he said, Mike, I'd like you to do a speaking event, but while you're staying with me, would you mind speaking to my history class at 8 o'clock in the morning? I said, no. So I walked into his class. There's about 50 kids there. Half of them looked like they needed a good jolt of caffeine or maybe toothpicks to keep their eyelids open. But it was kind of interesting because I noticed there were about a dozen black kids sitting in a clump towards the front of the room. And I figured the best way to make my point is to kind of be a little bit controversial. So I pointed to one of the black kids. I said, stand up, son. What are you majoring in? He said, oh, I'm planning to be a phys ed major. And with my hand, I motioned to all the other black kids sitting next to him. I said, I guess all you guys are phys ed majors, right? And one guy jumped up. He said, no, man, I'm pre-med. What's this nonsense phys ed? Because my friend here is a phys ed major. I said, well, you're angry at me, aren't you? He said, damn right I'm angry. I said, you should be. But the next time you hear someone talk about the black vote, think about what just happened. Yeah. Because he's black and he's a phys ed major. You're black. You have to be also. Isn't that what the black vote means? Mm-hmm. How disgusting is that? That you have to vote Democrat because they're, right. you know, they're whatever. going to whatever. This identity, yeah. but, but, for right. but I said, once Americans. they do that, whether it's the Jewish vote, the black vote, the Latino vote, instead of treating you like an individual as an American, oh, they we've seen you. one black, we've seen them all. Do you know that every kid in that class, especially the black kids, came up and hugged me afterwards? They said, you know, it always Good. bugged us, but we couldn't put our finger on it. Now you put your finger on it. Yeah, and you know, I I don't think President Trump he did not play identity politics, and I really think no. he was more unifying that people will give him credit for, and continues to be more unifying. President Obama separated everybody by religion, by race, by creed, everything yes. he could to figure out how these conquer. Yeah, it's Divide like in ba- exactly. It's like in baseball how they now um, use all these different statistics and and um, uh, measures to figure out how. How we should uh, play the game? Should we um, throw a two-seam fastball on O2, or should we throw a changeup? That's basically I've all these better, stupid things way based on computer d- dynamics. Go ahead. Forgive me, but here's the thing, folks. Just like my good friend Mark, who's my brother from another mother, <laughs> as Americans, and I've been all over this great country. I can't tell you what a journey it's been from Montana to Minnesota to Hawaii to Seattle to California, Alabama, you name it, I've been there. As Americans, and I don't care about your race or your religion or your ethnicity. I don't care if you came from the city or you lived on a farm. As Americans, we have the same essential dreams and the same goals and the same concerns. If we focus on what makes us more similar than what makes us more different, we will do well as a country. We always have. It's only recently that these crooked politicians, forgive the redundancy in that statement, mm-hmm. have done this divide and conquer nonsense with these pollsters who are full of you know what. We're Americans. And as Americans, we should all be hoping, whether we're Democrats, Republicans, Independents, it doesn't matter. 
We should be hoping that the president, whoever that person is in the Oval Office, is successful because if the president is truly representing us and is successful, then we will all benefit from his success. You couldn't have, said, you it, you couldn't have said it better. Now, last question, and then I'll let you go. Do you sure. give, from your expertise as an immigration agent, do you give President Trump an A-plus so far for his uh, work in trying to secure the nation? I will give him an A. When he gets his language a little bit more honed and, and sharp, and then I'll give him an A-plus. Okay. Well, I think he's still, you I know, think, obviously— I think that's the only weakness adjustment. that he has. And you know what? I grew up on construction jobs. My dad will always be my yeah. biggest hero and my mom. They were, they, they were exemplary. I lost them to cancer while I was in college. Uh, but I stand on their shoulders, shoulders every day I get up. My pop was, was a tradesman. You know, when you would say to him, what do you do for a living? He'd puff out his chest and he'd say, I'm a plumber by trade. And he had every right to be proud, by the way. Sure. It was a five-year apprenticeship. It was no different than going to college. And then oh, he continued to get more training. He got a license to the, so that he could do brazing and so forth. And he was truly a craftsman, a tradesman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will put up a good construction worker against an, encounter, uh, an accountant or a candy-ass thieving banker every day of the week. Yeah. And so those folks that built this country had so much to be proud of. And what bugs me is when I listen to politicians talk down their nose about the work Americans won't do. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but I want your audience to know one of my favorite movies, and it was a book, was something called uh, October Sky, based on the book The Rocket Boys, Boys by Homer Hickam. And Homer Hickam um, grew up in Colwood, which is a coal mining town in West Virginia. True story. And you find out how in 1957, when Sputnik was launched by the Russians, and Homer is about two years older than I am, I certainly remember that seminal moment. My dream was to be an aerospace engineer. I got to meet Jim Lovell and Dave Scott, Jim McDivitt. I got a photograph taken of me with uh, uh, Gene Krantz, flight director for Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and the space shuttle program. And it was a hell of a shot in the arm. I had had prostate cancer 15 years ago and met him. Uh, and one day I'll tell you that story. But these are true American heroes. But Homer Hickam wrote this amazing book that became the screenplay. And you learn how by building rockets, he ultimately went on to college because he didn't want to work in the coal mines like his dad and uh, became a NASA engineer. And Homer Hickam was called upon to write and deliver the eulogy at the Sago mine disaster about a decade ago when there was a terrible cave-in in West Virginia because of his eloquence and because of the fact that his father was a coal miner. And, you know, coal miners and construction workers and farm workers, all these guys that are tough, uh, that don't see Mission Impossible anywhere. For my dad, there was never anything called Mission Impossible. At worst, it was Mission Difficult. No job was too tough, too backbreaking, too filthy, or too dangerous. It was a day's work, and he was happy to do it. I carried him off his job his last day of work. He was dying of lung cancer in part because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. Uh, because of the Sullivan brothers, five brothers killed on a Navy ship, the military made a decision that no sole surviving male member of a family would be able to serve in the military. And my dad's brother was already in the Army Air Corps, so they wouldn't take him. And he said, well, I'm a pipe fitter. I'm going to work on the ships. At least I can contribute to the war effort. So between his exposure to asbestos and his yeah. three-pack-a-day Chesterfield habit, we lost him when he was 57. But Hickam delivered the eulogy at that disaster. And I watched because they broadcast it live on TV. And Homer Hickam had a line in the eulogy that brought tears to my eyes. 
He said, there's no water holier than the sweat off a man's brow. And it made me think of my father, particularly towards the end of his life, when he barely had the strength to get up and go to work in the morning, but he did it anyway to support me and my mother and carrying him literally off his job his last day of work. And then you contrast the reverence that Homer Hickam had for blue collar America. And my heart is blue collar, even though my parents made sure I got a degree. Um, but to say what he said with that reverence and you contrast it with the politicians. And I had the privilege of having a conversation with Homer because we were both on a radio show one day and I said to the host, I would give anything to be able to speak with him. He said, let me call him up and make sure it's okay, and I'll give you his home phone number if he agrees. Well, he agreed, and we had a half-hour phone conversation, and then he sent me a later copy of a different book that he wrote and autographed it for me. And when you contrast American workers, the quiet heroes, the guys that trudge off to work no matter how tough the job is to support their families, mm -hmm. And you listen to the dirtbag politicians who can talk about work Americans won't do as they make certain to import a flood of workers to drive down the wages, to displace American workers. I have to tell you, that's criminal in my book. And, and that's why I'm battling the battles I fight, because, number one, I will never forget living through 9-11. And, you know, on 9-11, what rattled in my head was, number one, I had testified before Congress four and a half years earlier about the nexus between immigration and terrorism. Immigration fraud, visa fraud. By the way, that's a big part of what Donald Trump is now going to go after, immigration fraud, finally. Yep. And I, and I had had a fight with the council over at the Immigration Subcommittee, and this was before 9-11, and I said, what the blank will it take? Another attack at the World Trade Center? We had that argument on the Friday before 9-11. So when those ashes landed on my home and in part contained my neighbor's remains, uh, I haven't been the same since. And I also remember what it was like when my dad lost his job. You know, one thing people don't know about construction workers is they work on a job. The bosses obviously want that job to be completed as fast as possible. But once they complete the job, they're out of work. So it's a continuing cycle unless they work for one company. And sometimes my dad would spend several years working for a particular company. But very often these guys do a job and they go back to the union looking for their next job. And meanwhile, there might be three, four months of no work. So losing right. a job is devastating to an American family, obviously. Yep. So, so to watch politicians make it impossible for Americans to earn a living wage. We've never seen this before, where today's kids expect to earn less than their parents did, where we ignore the plight of 95 million working-age Americans who've left the labor force. So when you combine all of those factors, Neil, this is why on 9-11 something snapped inside me, and I said, I have to go forward and get people to understand the issue. Yeah. My dad said many things my parents did. I often think of their words of wisdom, and they were words of wisdom. But one thing my pop said to me, and I could hear his voice clear as a bell right after 9-11 when I was asked if I would testify, and I couldn't get permission from my agency. My dad years ago said, Mike, it's easy to spot a real man. He's the guy that stands up when it counts. I heard his voice on 9-11. And that's what this is about. As Americans, we owe it to our kids and our grandchildren to speak out. Not the rioting, not that crazy nonsense, but get your voice heard. Make those elected representatives accountable. And think of this. Yeah. 
They can't represent you if they don't know what you want. When you go into a restaurant, you're crystal clear about the food that you want to eat and the way you want it be, to be prepared. Folks, you have to be that crystal clear with these nitwits who call themselves your political representatives. They can't represent you if they don't hear you. They need to hear you. I always like to end programs by telling people that democracy is not a spectator sport. No, it certainly is not. And um, new people came out to vote in November, and they voted for yep. President Trump. And it's, listen, it is about time. And I've been saying it really since November 8th, but especially since the inauguration, get over it and support the country, support the president, and hope that he's successful and uh, hope that— um, the country comes together at this point because we're at a uh, pivotal time. So, um, Mr. Cutler, I, I can't thank you enough for um, coming on and spending all this time to chat with me today about these all important, very important issues. And, you know, people can listen over and over to this um, again, and hopefully things change. But uh, thank you for your service and thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for this uh, celebration, if you will, of the First Amendment. Great to join you. I look forward to. Uh getting together with you again soon. Absolutely. I look forward to future projects. Thank you. Be well. All right. That wraps things up on the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast on this Tuesday with you every single day here on iTunes and NeilACaruso.com. Check out the website, NeilACaruso.com, because we have an exclusive on immigration tonight. Well, not really exclusive, but, you know, uh, we have the Cutler video interview. We have a podcast interview. We have all the details you need to know about it. Um, newsletter out tomorrow that you can subscribe to and get the latest that you need to know straight to your inbox when we get it out there because uh, we are doing things that no one else is doing and talking about. Uh, by the way, you know what? We talked about Sweden yesterday and the you know they were killing Trump for even making a reference about crime in Sweden. Yeah, well, they had riots and fires breaking out in Sweden today. So I think the president who knows more classified information than anyone is uh, onto something. God bless America. Talk to you tomorrow. The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to neilacaruso.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.